How can you achieve and maintain business growth? Harvard Business School Executive Education is now accepting applications for a new program, Driving Profitable Growth. Taking place in Boston from October 25th through the 28th, this program focuses on business expansion and organizational growth strategies that can lead your company into the future. Learn more about this three-day program for senior leaders by visiting hbs.me growth. That's hbs.me growth. You are Locked On 49ers, your daily San Francisco 49ers podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Welcome to Locked On 49ers, bringing the 49ers to you daily on the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brian Peacock. Very excited to announce a brand new partnership with Pro Football Focus. We're going to be giving away one free subscription to PFF per week here on Locked On 49ers. Give you the details about all that in just a little bit. I want to remind everybody to follow me on Twitter at BD Peacock. Going to be doing a mailbag show today, and that's the best place to find me. Drop a mailbag question at BD Peacock on Twitter or via email, LockedOn49ers at Gmail. You can drop a line on Facebook as well. Subscribe, rate, review the show on iTunes. You can find us everywhere, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio. We're everywhere, including LockedOn49ers.com. Let's start with some news before we hit the mailbag. And you get the feeling that John Lynch and the personnel department is really going to turn over the very end of this roster, the bottom of the roster. Already seen a lot of movement, a lot of players coming on and off the roster and, and the practice squad. The 49ers announced Wednesday they have signed linebacker Elijah Lee from the Minnesota Vikings practice squad to a two-year contract. In order to make room on the roster for Lee, the team has waived offensive lineman John Theus. So who is Elijah Lee? Lee is an athletic, undersized, weak side linebacker, a seventh-round draft pick by the Vikings this year. Similar profile, height, weight, speed type of player to Ray Ray Armstrong coming into the league. Ray Ray was a college safety that grew into a linebacker. Lee is 6'3", 228 at the Combine. Actually, didn't get, he got snubbed from the Combine, actually. So it is pro day, 6'3", 228. He ran about 4'7". So linear player that gives depth at linebacker. Probably see most of his work on special teams, and that also means that John Theus is gone. We'll see if they turn around and bring him back to the practice squad or if another team claims him off of waivers or if uh, just he hangs out in no man's land for a while. 49ers going with three offensive tackles. Looks like Gary Gilliam is going to be the swing tackle now with John Theus getting cut. And if Joe Staley goes down, that makes me believe that they're probably going to put Gilliam in at right tackle and move Trent Brown over to the left side, but that's just a guess. Not sure how that's going to work right now, but uh, down to three offensive tackles now on the active roster. Let's go to Kyle Shanahan to tell us a little bit about the newest 49er, Elijah Lee. It was someone we were interested in through the draft, so we, we had our eye on him, and then our personnel department keeps an eye on him throughout preseason, guys that we targeted in the draft. So um, usually those are guys when we go do it that we put a lot of time into with their college play. So Elijah Lee might not see a ton of him this weekend, uh, in Seattle, but uh, newest member of the 49ers, athletic linebacker. I think he fits the mold. What they're looking for is sort of a you know a depth piece and someone who could play weak side linebacker and a little bit of special teams. And a player I did like in college, he came out of Kansas State. So I mentioned the offensive line. John Theus gone. They've got three offensive tackles. They got a number of interior players. And uh, let's 
Let's go back to the coach. Uh, what do you think about Lake and Tomlinson? Maybe time to see him at left guard over Zane Beatles. That, that's something we'll evaluate all three days. You know, what, same as I told you guys, um, I forget what day, Monday or Sunday, but we're working Lincoln and more. Um, this is his second week here, so he's getting a little bit more reps, and we'll see how he handles it and how it plays out. I'd be surprised if Lakin doesn't at least work in there at left guard in this game, and who knows if he's, if he's looking like he's acclimated, looking like he's got the scheme stuff down. Uh, he might even start this game number two, which is, an, again, another tough assignment for the San Francisco 49ers offensive line against the Seattle Seahawks defensive line. And how about Jimmy Ward? He's got to be getting close to ready to go 100%, right? Um, no, it's the same. I mean, he's still limited. We definitely are going to – he's going to get more today than he did last week. We're going to continue trying to up his reps. We'll see how that goes today. Um, I expect him to be better this week than he was last week, but he's definitely still limited and hope to have him on Sunday. Yeah, so same old with Jimmy Ward. Still coming back very slowly from that hamstring tear, unfortunately, and it's kind of been teasing us. You know, out of the gate, if they would have said, oh, man, it's a tear, and it's a, it's a tough hamstring tear, it's going to be, you know, weeks and weeks before he's in there, but it was, you know, maybe, oh, two weeks, he'll be back for the second preseason game. And that, that's really made it difficult, I think, for 49ers fans who are already worried about Ward's health and, and how brittle he has been in his NFL career so far. And seeing that he's still not ready is, is, is somewhat frustrating. So I, I feel the fans on that uh, that want to see Jimmy Ward get out there. And I want to see Jimmy Ward get out there. I want to see what he looks like on paper. I think he'd be a fantastic fit in this scheme at free safety. And, and, and I want to see that. And maybe we'll see it this week. But I doubt he's going to start even if he is ready to go. Uh, but, you know, maybe maybe it's still going to be another week or two before he's out there. We might have to wait until after that short week Rams game and week number four before we actually see Jimmy Ward out there starting at free safety. Some interesting questions about the zone running scheme and the outside zone in particular and why maybe it wasn't working all that well in week one against the Panthers. And this is what Kyle Shanahan had to say if uh, it was something they were going to do less of. No, not at all. It's every inside zone run was versus two shell defense when they're one man short. Um, so we happen to get in the right play versus two safety defense when they're outnumbered. Um, the eight man fronts, if you get into those tight ones and you're outnumbered times two, if you do an outside zone, at least they have to honor the keeper. So uh, you have the number. So it depends on what type of front you're going against. <laughs> I love that response from him. A, a little bit of a shutdown move by him to shut down the reporter who asked that question because he's sort of looking at it like, Look, there's a good reason why I'm doing this stuff. This is not willy-nilly. We're not just like, oh, we're going to run this play. We're going to run this play. There's very specific reasons why he's running stuff and when he's running it. And I love the quick X's and O's breakdown. And I had to listen to it a couple times just to be like, uh, okay, what, what exactly did you just say about when he's doing it, what he's doing, it, and who's who's outnumbering who there? Uh, and actually, I'll just play it one more time for you guys who who might have wanted to go back and rewind it and say, wait, what did he say again? No, not at all. It's all every inside zone run was versus two shell defense when they're one man short. Um, so we happen to get in the right play versus two safety defense when they're outnumbered. Um, the eight-man fronts, if you get into those tight ones and you're outnumbered times two, if you do an outside zone, at least they have to honor the keeper, so uh, you have the number, so it depends on what type of front you're going against. So shorthand, what he's trying to say is they've got two safeties back when you have better numbers inside and run some of those inside run plays, and the outside zone, uh, when they have eight men in the box, it helps you numbers-wise because they have to account for the quarterback, so it's a numbers game situation sometimes on those outside zone runs because one defender has to take the quarterback. He's just trying to say that he's trying to get an advantage when he's calling these plays, and there's definitely a reason why they're doing them. And so uh, the question was after that, then why were those outside zone runs unsuccessful in week one? Um, Just the same reason anyone is. You don't make the blocks. You don't get the hole. 
Um, we did have an outside zone one that, that we had everyone blocked and we just tripped going through the line. And if we would have hit that one, it would have been a 30-yarder and then it would have really messed up your outside zone stats because the one we got would have been a gash. We just tripped. All the others weren't good ones. So then it looks like you're averaging 0.5 on the outside zones and it's just one play that changes it all for stats. So yeah, uh, silly reporters, he's not changing anything. He's got his offense dialed in. He knows what he wants to do. He knows what he's why he's trying to do it. Yeah, just because maybe something doesn't work perfectly in week one, he's not going to all of a sudden abandon part a big part of his entire scheme before going into week two and and just shelf something. So he he's going to try to get all of his his pieces working, all of everything that he has at his disposal to try to win games and gain yards and put points on the board. That's what he's trying to do, and he's going to use all of it. So yeah, uh, I kind of like those answers from Kyle Shanahan. There's there's a good reason why he does stuff, and sometimes as fans, you look at it and you just see it as. Man, that run play is not working. Why do they keep trying to do it? And so uh, a lot of times a lot more thought that goes into it from an X's and O's perspective from a coaching staff. And um, you need a Ph.D. practically to know everything that's going on in an offense. And that's basically what uh, that's what Shanahan is. And that's why it's so hard to play quarterback in the NFL, because you have to know all this stuff. And you're basically learning from the coach or the offensive coordinator who is a doctorate level professor teaching this subject and you can't come in as a freshman and be like, Hey, I'm ready to go. I got this whole subject down. It takes a while. And I think that's why you see someone like Brian Hoyer, who is your starting quarterback. And and it might be a while before someone like CJ Beathard, who's a rookie is ready to go. And and you see it around the league. It takes a while for quarterbacks usually to be ready. And if they are ready early, usually things are stripped down a little bit for, for the quarterback to make things easier on them. And uh, we're just talking about a couple of run plays here, too. So that that doesn't even account for everything else that goes into a passing offense and and the rest of a game plan. But I thought those were some interesting uh, answers from Kyle Shanahan. So uh, let's move on to the injury report Wednesday. Did not practice. Ruben Foster, obviously we've talked a lot about his high ankle sprain. He'll be out for some number of weeks. Tackle Joe Staley did not practice, but just a veteran day off for Joe Staley. And limited in practice were... George Kittle, due to his similar hamstring calf injury he's been dealing with. And I think it was just hamstring before, so the calf part sounds a little bit new to me. I don't know if that's something he hurt in week one, but he was able to play last week, even though he was limited most of the week due to hamstring. So I would expect the same in week two. And, of course, we just heard from Kyle Shanahan about safety Jimmy Ward, who was also limited due to his hamstring injury. The 49ers brought in a few defensive linemen uh, taking a look at some, you know, which is kind of surprising. They've been doing a lot with the defensive line. I thought that was their deepest position on the entire roster, but they're still bringing in guys to look at. This is according to Field Yates on Twitter. He said, busy day for the 49ers trying out defensive linemen. Atiba Rubin, Kendall Lankford, Jay Howard, Tony McDaniel, all in San Francisco on Wednesday. And those all sound like interior defensive linemen to me. So maybe they're not happy with who's backing up DeForest Buckner there at the three technique right now. Uh, but actually some different shaped guys there. Ruben is more of a nose tackle type, 6'2", 330. Kendall Langford's been around the league for a while. He is built similarly actually to DeForest Buckner, about 6'6", 300 pounds. And all these guys are veteran defensive linemen that they brought in for a look. Jay Howard, more of that three technique style player. And then Tony McDaniel, 6'7", 305. So yeah, I think three those guys would probably be working out as three techniques and uh, more more run-oriented players on the interior. Some of those guys are because, you know, they're not young in the tooth. They're not, you know, sensational pass rushers or anything. And then Ruben would be a full-on uh, nose tackle. 
prospect. I think if the 49ers were looking for an extra nose tackle, they need to bring in maybe if there's an injury. But uh, I don't think it doesn't sound like any of those guys, any signings are imminent there. Okay, I teased at the top of the show talking about the free PFF membership to my listeners. I want to let you guys all know what's going on with that. So what we are giving away, we're giving away one free PFF Edge subscription per week here on Locked On 49ers. That's a $39.99 value for a season of PFF Edge. You get NFL player grades, snap counts, position ranks, fantasy projections, rankings, the fantasy tools and charts. I definitely went to all my fantasy drafts this year with the uh, with the fantasy rankings from PFF, and it, it's really awesome. Actually, you just take URL from your league. You know, so for example, the league I play in with Nick Winkler, Oblong Balls. I, I just took the URL from that Yahoo league. I pasted it into the fantasy tools, and they pull out all the information. So it knows how many teams. It knows the scoring rules for your league. And then it gives you a rankings list and a cheat sheet based on that. So it was a really awesome uh, tool there. And that's just the fantasy stuff here. All the other NFL grades and stuff, you get player grades, snap counts, uh, position ranks, NFL draft coverage with PFF profiles and stats, team and player pages featuring PFF stats. So uh, it's it's for, for football fans, and especially if you geek out on stats, PFF is the way to go. So we're giving away one free PFF Edge subscription per week. So how do you get this? Well, what you do is you go to the Locked On 49ers iTunes page and you leave a review. And in that review, just drop your Twitter handle so I know who you are. If you don't belong to Twitter, go to Twitter first, make an account, then go leave a review with that Twitter handle in there. And uh, we will randomly select one reviewer every week of Locked On 49ers here and give away a PFF Edge subscription worth $39.99 in value. And it's well worth $39.99, by the way, to be a member of Pro Football Focus and get that PFF Edge subscription for a season. And I know you guys love the episodes when I bring Jeff Dini, who's the media correspondent for the 49ers here on Locked On 49ers, but a PFF analyst also getting involved with Locked On Fantasy Show and the Locked On NFL Show. Uh, Jeff Ratcliffe, who's the director of fantasy for Pro Football Focus, he joins Locked on fantasy every Thursday. And then Mike Renner, who is also an analyst and does the PFF podcast. He is joining locked on NFL with Matt Williamson every Wednesday. So uh, PFF getting involved here with the locked on podcast network, go to iTunes, leave a review for this podcast and include your Twitter handle in the review. Each week we'll choose a random winner from those that left reviews and give away one PFF edge subscription. Pretty cool. Uh, Real quick, an interesting interview I ran across today involving Alex Smith. He was on a show called In-Depth with Graham Bensinger, sort of an interview show, and he had some interesting things to say about his time in San Francisco with the 49ers and um, really, (laughs) really uh, opened up. And it's more candid than I've heard Alex Smith really talk about his time with the 49ers. And I got to imagine there was a long struggle for a long time with the 49ers. And um, yeah, this is this is what he had to say about uh, what it was like early on in the early years as a 49er. I knew that it was really dysfunctional. I knew that this wasn't the way that successful places operated. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you're a young QB, you, you can't. It's hard to vocalize that. It's hard to stand up and say that. Uh, it's hard to make the change because you don't necessarily at that point. I don't know what the right thing totally looks like, mm-hmm. right at the NFL level. 
That was tough. Alex Smith coming in, he was super young too. He was a true junior, 20 years old when he came into the league. And uh, just physically, I don't know if he was ready, and I don't know how he could be ready mentally to come in. Such a bad team. They had the first pick in the draft in 2005, and you know he wasn't really a good NFL quarterback for a while. It took five or six years to get there. And um, yeah, and this this is this next quote from him really really drives it home what it was like for Alex Smith as a 49ers quarterback at that time. Uh, he, he was not very comfortable playing in front of the home crowd just because uh, the the crowd wasn't excited about what they were seeing as a product on the field. Yeah, I mean, there definitely was a few-year period where I was far more comfortable playing on the road that I looked forward to road games. Fans turning on us, turning on. Yeah, that was a lot, for sure. There were certainly times leading up to that, moments of such poor play and product (laughs) that it uh, for sure justified, right? Like, it was bad. It was bad, bad ball. Um, This was the same team that the next year went 13-3. and So really, it took all the way until the Harbaugh years for Alex Smith to feel comfortable playing quarterback in the NFL, and that was a long, a long stretch. So you know, you know, he's talking about a certain head coach here, which was Mike Singletary, the coach before Harbaugh came in. Yeah, and then getting booed uh, Sunday night in front of everybody, national TV crowd, and just uh, it, it, you know, feel like I'm battling and 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 feel like I'm the guy that's getting exposed out there. You know that there were a lot of other things that I'm taking the brunt of. You know, and and that I'm, and then all of a sudden I'm dealing with a head coach on the sideline that's in my face and and screaming at me on top of fans chanting for the backup. You know, and I was trying to trying to please all these people, right? I had, you know, I felt like a head coach that didn't understand uh, at all what it took. <laughs> uh, it's kind of nice to hear Alex Smith open up about that stuff now. And if if you were a 49ers fan and the way it looked was that it was dysfunctional from the outside, well, now you know what it was like playing quarterback for the 49ers. It felt dysfunctional for him as well. So that's not really much of a surprise, but uh, it is really interesting to hear Alex Smith vocalize those things and sort of reflect on his time, especially earlier on before they started having some success with the 49ers. All right, let's go ahead and move on to the mailbag and start with my buddy Mark Schofield, who has been on the show before. We talked a lot of NFL draft in the springtime, and he's actually host of Locked On Patriots. So if you know anybody who is a fan of the Patriots, let them know about uh, that's a must tune in show there with with Locked On Patriots and host Mark Schofield. He asks for my thoughts on Brian Hoyer from this Sunday. Talked a little bit about it earlier in the week, but yeah, just to revisit, I just I talked about this actually on KNBR on Tuesday night. I was on with Drew Hoffer and Ryan Covey on the KNBR Tonight show after the Giants game. And I love that they have some super late night uh, programming there now. It's kind of cool. But anyways, going into it, you don't want to see a stat line after the game where the 49ers ran the ball 15 times and then Brian Hoyer threw it 35 times. That's not a winning recipe. And I don't know that that Kyle Shanahan drew it up that way going in, but I think he definitely could have run the ball a little bit more. And we heard him say earlier this week that he was, he did regret a little bit going for one of those uh, fourth down plays, maybe a little over aggressive in his first, uh, you know, his first time head coaching a football team. And I think he wanted to come out with the bang and the 49ers offense did look pretty good early, but they just missed on a few plays and weren't able to put points up on the board. But uh, as for Hoyer, yeah, he, he made uh, some bonehead plays, that, um, you know, a couple of turnovers, when you get sacked, there's not much you can do about that sometimes. Um, but the interception to Luke Keekley, that was the play that really, 
really made it difficult for the 49ers to try to come back and win that game. And it was a play-action play, and George Kittle going over the middle, and Luke Keekley did not bite at all on the play-action fake. And Hoyer didn't look. He just threw it right there, right to Keekley where he was standing in that hook zone. And uh, that's an unacceptable pass. He can't throw that kind of a pass. He missed on both deep balls to Goodwin. I mean, the first one he didn't technically miss because it did end up hitting Goodwin in the bread basket, but Goodwin had to hold up for that, so it made the play that much more awkward. But he's got to be a lot better. And and even against a, a really good defense like the Seahawks, I expect him to be better in this Week 2 matchup. And uh, And if he's not better... The fans are going to be on him. The fans are going to be treating him just like Alex Smith was getting treated a decade ago here when the 49ers were bad. Fans don't have a lot of patience to see a team lose week in and week out, and so they're going to be clamoring for C.J. Beathard if Brian Hoyer doesn't turn things on here in week two and week three. Let's go to Jason, who's a frequent mailbagger. He asks, with the Foster hype train in full flow, do you think Solomon Thomas is being overlooked? Uh, No, I don't think so, because... Ruben Foster is making more plays than Solomon Thomas right now. I think uh, to a certain extent, Ruben Foster's job is a little bit easier than Solomon Thomas's. You know, uh, Solomon Thomas takes on blocks so that Ruben Foster can make his plays. So uh, f- for that reason, I think it's just like a running back on offense gets more love than uh, an offensive lineman would. And it's, it's easier for that player to stand out. But uh, Solomon Thomas, you know, didn't really affect the stat sheet. I want to see a little bit more out of Solomon Thomas. The, the whole 49ers defensive line, as good as they played against the run, uh, they were equally bad against the pass. They were not pressuring Cam Newton, and that can't happen this week against Russell Wilson. And when they do pressure Russell Wilson, he is amazing. He's a Houdini at getting out of trouble. I'm interested to see how this defensive line, because that's sort of their MO, is is more strength and size and, and putting pressure on a quarterback rather than chasing somebody down. So I want to see the athleticism from this line, and they're able to corral Russell Wilson. If they do get him to move his feet, they're actually able to get to him and maybe bring him down make him make bad throws rather than let him run around, hold the ball for 10 seconds, find a guy open, you know, and hang the DBs out to dry and start completing these passes. Because that's really frustrating to watch when uh, when Russell Wilson is doing that to the 49ers. Let's go to Jamie. Any chance Bam comes out of retirement again to help the offensive line? Problems were the old front office, still only 27 years old, tried guard last year. Uh, to put it simply, Jamie, no. No shot. Uh, he, he's not coming back. He's not the type of player. The, the 49ers aren't trying to bring guys in that, that are quitting on the team multiple times. And I think I think Bam Anthony Davis is, is who Jamie's talking about here. I think Anthony Davis's time in the NFL is done. Let's go to Thomas. With the release of Theus, Niners are thin at left tackle. I only see Gilliam at backup right tackle. Thoughts on O-line depth, specifically at tackle. So, yeah, I talked about that a little bit earlier. It's going to be... Gilliam's either going to be the swing tackle and back up both spots or Gilliam comes in at right tackle and then Trent Brown moves over to left tackle. We did see a little bit of Zane Beatles kicking out the tackle last season. So he's probably the emergency fourth guy at this point there. And you do still have Daryl Williams Jr. on the practice squad at offensive tackle. And we'll see if they bring John Theus back to the practice squad because then he's only, you know, one day away from getting called back up. If they do have some depth issues going forward. And, of course, Eric Magnuson, the undrafted free agent, he's been playing center and played a little guard in camp. He was a right tackle in college, so he's got a lot of experience playing tackle. So I guess if you're looking for a second emergency guy, you've got Beatles, who would be your super emergency left tackle, and then you got Magnuson, who would be your super emergency right tackle. So at least they have bodies that could go out there and play in, in non-ideal situations. Carl asks, will Bowman step up? Uh, I don't know. I don't think Bowman needs to step up. 
I think we we know what Bowman is now. He's a veteran, tough player. He's got the play calls coming into his helmet. He's the veteran. He's the rock in the middle. He's not as athletic as he used to be, but I don't think he's going to be a liability either. I, I'm I think I'm one of the few people that are really just not worried about Bowman. I think he's just he's just someone we don't have to worry about. He's going to be solid. He might not be spectacular like he used to be, but I'm not worried about Bowman. I think he's he did a fine job in week one. And I think he'll still be that guy throughout the season, and hopefully hopefully he's able to stay healthy, maybe regain a little bit. You know, Maybe he can regain a half a step as the season goes on because he's still not that far removed from some pretty gnarly injuries, especially last year's Achilles rupture. Let's go to Armando. Does James... Get more run at free safety on Sunday. Um, you mean Jerome? I think Armando means Lorenzo Jerome. I do think Lorenzo Jerome could get in there a little bit more. Although uh, Kwaski T, Jaquiski Tart, he didn't play too bad there. He had a bad missed tackle on the one touchdown pass to uh, Russell Shepard. And then he had the roughing penalty on Greg Olson over the middle. Both of those bad plays, very bad plays. But after that... Uh, the same drive w- w- of the Olsen penalty, he came back and made that one-handed interception, played pretty good from there. So, yeah, I think I think Tart earned the right to, to try that again and get out there, and he'll probably, I mean, you just don't yank guys out of the starting lineup. I think most times if you put Tart out there to start, unless something happens, he's tired, he's hurt, um, they need to move him around for some reason, he's probably going to be out there most of the game. But Lorenzo Jerome, I wouldn't mind seeing him out there play a little bit of a, you know, maybe get a, series or two at free safety, but I got to imagine it's going to be mostly the Tart show at free safety. Let's see. Where do we go here? 904 Niners Nation asks, it's real early, but what's your thoughts on FSU's Derwin James? If the 49ers are picking in the top 10, do you have to go QB? So we're uh, it's a little early to be looking at the draft. I mean, I, I've got my eyes on the draft as always. I don't know if most of the listeners do as well. But uh, Derwin James is absolutely, I think he's the number one safety prospect on the board right now, and he would be in the conversation for sure for someone for the 49ers in the draft. But it's still way early. It's hard to say. But if if you think you're staring at a franchise quarterback, you do that every time. And we'll see. That'll be, you know, once the draft comes, we'll already know how free agency played out. And we'll see if any of these uh, soon-to-be free agents like Kirk Cousins and Drew Brees and Jimmy Garoppolo, those guys are all going to be free agents. So we'll see what happens in free agency first. But if the 49ers don't do anything big in free agency, I think they're going to have to consider quarterbacks in the draft. And there's a lot of good ones this year, man. And so if they're in the top 10, they're probably going to be looking at a quarterback. And if they think one of those guys is the guy, you absolutely go there over Derwin James, as good of a prospect as he is at safety. Okay, let's try one more here. Let's go to bring back the Zodiac. I don't know. Do you really want to bring back the Zodiac? Wasn't he a murderer? I don't know. Work on that name, guy. Uh, Anyway, (laughs) Uh, bring back the Zodiac. You know, it rhymes. I think that's why he went to that name. Uh, I know you said before you play guitar and we're in a band. So is that you playing guitar in the intro to your show? No, that is a band called The Hot Snakes. And the song is called This Mystic Decade. And the Hot Snakes are uh, are a great band. Some of the members from the Hot Snakes were also in one of my favorite bands of all time, Drive Like Jay, who was a 90s punk band. All right, that's going to do it. Thanks, everybody, for all those questions. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, Sorry if I didn't get to your questions. Had a lot of questions come down today for this mailbag, so I really appreciate that stuff from you guys. If you ever want to send me something, at BD Peacock on Twitter is the best place. There's also email, LockedOn49ers at Gmail. We've got a page on Facebook. 
And as always, subscribe, rate, review the show. Don't forget to drop that iTunes review for a chance at a free one-year subscription to PFF Edge. LockedOn49ers.com. Be back tomorrow previewing week two with the Seattle Seahawks right here on Locked On 49ers. It takes a lot to get excited about a bag, but most bags can't save you 20% on auto parts. That's 20% off headlamps, 20% off oil filters, 20% off virtually anything you can fit inside the 99-cent Napa reusable bag. So tell your buddies, there's a bag they just have to check out. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa auto parts stores while supplies last. Minimum three items. Exclusions apply. Offer ends 10 17